You're listening to the voice of the future, fighting for America every day. This is the conservative crusader. And here's your host, GOP Josh. Hello and welcome to the Conservative Crusader. My name is GOP Josh. Thank you for tuning in here on the Red Future Radio Network. Very glad to be with you all today here on the broadcast. Later in the program today, we have a special guest, Neil Peterson, independent candidate for governor, will be joining us here on the Conservative Crusader talking about his run for governor. An update, he has been denied from the ballot by the Secretary of State's office. Short, just a few hundred signatures. We'll talk about that later today in the broadcast with Neil Peterson, so stay tuned for that. Have a lot to get to before that, but I start, want to start off today with a way you can support the program. If you'd like to support the program, uh, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash G-O-P Josh, and that will give you a couple different tiers in which you can support the program with, and those tiers have different benefits, one of which is a Discord rank for our Discord server, which you will be able to find in the show notes below of this, uh, even if you don't subscribe. You can join the Discord as a normal member, not have all the benefits, not have all the different perks, but you will be able to join the Discord server and join in the conversation. But if you join the Patreon, the first tier, you will be able to have a a um, a special rank on the Discord server. So you'll be able to actually talk in an exclusive channel with me, with my um, friends on, on the Discord, just with the members, just with you that are listening and are supporting us through the Patreon account. If you are on the $10 a month tier, a special once-a-month interview, the conservative chat will be out a day early for you. So before it is released to the public, it'll be a day early for you all. And if you join at the Trump tier, it will be behind-the-scenes content. You'll be able to see what goes behind the scenes, goes on behind the scenes here at the Red Future Radio Network at the Conservative Crusader if you join on that tier. So it's patreon.com slash gopjosh, patreon.com slash gopjosh. There for that. Thank you for supporting advance. If you can't support, that's fine. The link will be in the show notes below. So, Larry Hogan will is a major rhino, the definition of a rhino. He is worse, somehow, worse than Mike DeWine. He is the incumbent Republican governor of Deep Blue Maryland, which tells you enough about him. But Dan Cox, who is a true Republican, a, a Trump Republican, who is a long shot anyway, any Republican after Hogan was a long shot, even if he was the Hogan-endorsed Republican. But any Republican after Hogan was a long, long shot. And Larry Hogan is more worried about his future presidential campaign than he has his state. The state he has grown into the state it is now. The, the rhino Larry Hogan will not support the true Republican in the Maryland Governor's Conference. Contest, And that's kind of ironic that I'm interviewing an independent conservative for governor tonight. But the thing is, Larry Hogan has a lot of influence over deep blue Maryland. He wouldn't have won his governor contest had he not been a moderate and had he not had some crossover Dem support. That support will not happen for Dan Cox without Larry Hogan's backing. So Republican in name only, Democrat Larry Hogan is more worried about his personal political adventures running against Donald Trump in 2024 than he is his own state. Hogan said Trump backed Dan Cox winning over the preferred candidate from Hogan was, quote, a win for the Democrats. It's a big loss for the Republican Party. We have no chance at saving that governor's seat. So if you are... Dan Cox, you are sitting here, you are a Republican trying to continue the reign of Larry Hogan, maybe more conservative, but continuing the reign of Larry Hogan, who is, I'm pretty sure, term limited out. And you are watching uh, this week with George Stephanopoulos. You're watching this and you're saying, you know what, he's, he's about to talk about me, right? And here is his endorsement of me and he will support my campaign to make sure that we are going to win and take back the state as a true Republican state and possibly even have a chance against the Democrats in November. And we have Larry Hogan going on the air on a national show saying his victory was a win for the Democrats. Now, I'm sorry. You can dislike a politician. 
you can run against an incumbent. You can this and that. But if you lose the primary, if you run and you lose the primary, or you run and you endorse someone in the primary and they lose, and instead of possibly running a campaign against him like Larry Hogan can't, but actually saying you won't support him, as the most influential Republican in Maryland, it's a disgrace that you take your personal politics over the state. And I'm going to say why this doesn't apply to Ohio, because I know people are going to say, well, you're literally interviewing Neil Peterson later, but that's not the same thing. Neil Peterson is an independent candidate who declared before the primary was over, uh, Joe Blystone or Jim Renacci could have won the primary, and his campaign would have been against Jim Renacci or Joe Blystone. But right now, we have a Larry Hogan Republican with little to no influence over the Republican Party of Ohio who lost the primary, or pretty much lost the primary. I mean, he had 48%, which was under 50%. Had the three reformists, the three true Republicans, or you can say three, I guess. uh, Two and a half true Republicans actually joined together and, and took down DeWine. He would have been taken down. But these aren't people who are running against a true Republican, an actual conservative. These are people running against a rhino, a Democrat rhino, someone who has ran the state of Ohio worse than Democrat Gretchen Whitmer has in Michigan. Okay, that's that's who they're running against. But Larry Hogan is just a more moderate conservative. Him and Dan Cox agree on a lot of issues. But actually tearing him down on national television. It's just disgusting. It's despicable. He has referred to him as a QAnon whack job. That's disgusting. And if you are Republican Dan Cox and you are Rhino Larry Hogan running in a deep blue state of Maryland trying to keep the governorship red and you are feuding like this, that's disgusting and and it needs to stop. I don't know who's responsible, but it needs to stop. Something needs to happen with that. It needs to, to stop. Plain and simple. And Joe Manchin, who is the based, so to speak, a, a partially good senator from West Virginia. He is the Democrat, has p- tested positive for COVID. And this makes me think, I know COVID's spreading rampant right now. <clears throat> no, that's, that's irony. It's probably, is probably not from Biden. But what I want to think what I'm imagining in my my conservative brain is that Joe Manchin went into Biden's office, went into the Oval Office, went into the meeting room, wherever it might have been. And he said, you know, Biden, I'm not going to vote for your radical spending. I'm not going to vote for your radical anti-American policies or anti-American this and that. I want to imagine that he walked into the Oval Office while Biden had COVID and, and got himself COVID to tell Biden down. And I know that's not what it was, but I would have loved that to be what happened. I would have loved that. He tested positive for COVID. He is fully vaccinated and boosted and experiencing mild symptoms. He will isolate and follow CDC guidelines as he continues to work remotely to serve West Virginians. That last part is most important, to serve West Virginians. He's not to serve the Democratic Party, not to serve New York. He is there to serve West Virginia. So I'm praying for Joe Manchin. He's our only chance in the Senate to stop Biden. I'm praying for Joe Manchin. I believe he will get well. He will recover. As 99% of people who catch COVID have, and 99.9999999% of people who didn't have a pre-existing condition who caught COVID have. So we're praying for him here as a conservative crusader at the Red Feature Radio Network, and we hope he gets better. And then we have a Democrat who I also, if they ha- got sick, would hope they get better. Because I don't wish death on anyone. It's not a very Christian thing to do, to wish death on people. But we have a governor who cares less about human life than he does personal politics. And that governor is Gavin Newsom, who is the Democratic front runner for president in 2024. He's, he's undoubtedly the person Republicans are most afraid to pardon me, to to go against. He is the radical nephew of Nancy Pelosi. And he has proposed a bill, and he actually signed a bill based off of Texas's abortion law, which will allow citizens to sue those who violate gun laws. So 
The bill, the SB 1327, states that any person other than an officer or employee of a state or governmental entity in the state may bring a civil action against any person who knowingly violates California gun law banning assault weapons or firearm parts. A person who also can be sued who is knowingly engaged in conduct that aids or abets a violation of the law, regardless of whether the person knew it or should have been known that the person aided or abetting would have been violating it or knowing committing, knowingly commits an act with the intent to engage in the conduct described. It would be a $10,000 lawsuit. A licensed gun dealer can also be sued for selling a gun to someone under 21 years old. So there's a difference here. The Texas law did not outlaw abortion, did not enforce abortion laws, did not say that any person can sue any person because they got an abortion. The California law is violating our Constitution, the Second Amendment of the Constitution, which applies to all Americans, including Californians, and is using their own political benefits to their own political takes to try to ban gun rights. It's absolutely it's, it's, it's just disgusting. I don't have more words to say than it's disgusting. People are going to die because of this bill. A good guy with a gun, and this is going to be stereotypical, people are going to say, oh, we debunked that. A good guy with a gun takes down a bad guy with a gun. And, and to be generous, probably nine out of ten scenarios. For the fact that Gavin Newsom decided that he is too good, he is too straight in his tie to, to allow guns in his state and violate and, and follow the Constitution just proves why he shouldn't even be a contender for president. You can't alienate... Uh, what, what percentage of Americans own guns? What percentage of Americans own guns? Because I believe it's a higher percent than we believe. It's a 44% reported gun living in the home or living in a home with a gun. So 44% of Americans. He has just alienated, alienated 44% of Americans. It's that simple. That is, that, that is who he works for. He works for the barely majority, the 56% of Americans that care nothing about rights, care nothing about the Second Amendment and nothing about protecting their family. Because police can't do it all. And they have to sometimes take it into their own hands. And that's what happens a lot with, with the good guy with a gun. And, and Gavin Newsom is despicable. I mean, he's absolutely despicable. There's no way he could be president in 2024 or ever. He should never be president of the United States. That plain, that simple. Here on the Conservative Crusader, my name is UP Josh. Be right back after this. If I can press the right button, we'll be right back after this here on the Conservative Crusader. You're listening to The Conservative Crusader. This is The Conservative Crusader. A period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activities are reduced, generally identified in the fall of a GDP into consecutive uh, uh, quarters. A tradition in which growth is slowing. Do those two different phrases sound like the same thing to you? It does to me. And it does to a majority of Americans that believe a recession is here. I don't know if it's an actual majority, but I'm sure, I have a feeling a good majority believe. Because they, the GDP has fell for two quarters in a row. Our economy is receding. But Janet Yellen said we're not in a in a recession. We are in a transition in which growth is slowing. Ma'am, I have to ask, what's the difference? Because our Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, claimed that the economy is not in a recession, but rather a period of transition in which the growth is slowing. Yellen said that the growth is slowing, even though output appears to be turning negative for a sustained period of time. The remarks come ahead of the Bureau of Economic Analysts publishing an advanced estimate of a second quarter gross domestic product growth later this week. A reading that is expected to show that the economy shrank at a 1.6% annualized pace from April to June. Because the economy likewise contracted at a a 1.5% rate the first quarter, the U.S. has experienced two consecutive quarters of negative growth, meeting the rule of thumb definition for a recession. That plain, 
that simple. That is what a recession is. And, and the, the Treasury Secretary that can't understand what a recession is and understand that we are the textbook definition for a recession. How is this, I mean, stolen elections have consequences, but how is this the person that is leading the Treasury Department of the United States of America? The person who is in charge of our economy, in charge of our money, in charge of all of this. How is this that person? How is Janet Yellen that person? Because I'm yelling across the road that there is a recession. And she's yelling back that there's not, but it's the truth. There is a recession. Any American who goes to the grocery store, who goes to the gas pump, can tell there is a recession. When your pocketbooks are empty, buying the same things, more empty, buying the same things you bought two years ago, even a year ago, six months ago, we are in a recession. That is the failure of the Biden administration, but more specifically, the Treasury Secretary. It's a good part of her job to make sure that we are not in a recession and we have a good economic standing in the world. And we don't have that. We don't have that. We haven't had that for a long time, since about January 20th, 2021. But Janet Yellen can, can go on and claim whatever she wants to say. It's not the truth. We know it. True Americans know the truth about our economy. I, at least I believe the majority of us do. So we have Joe Rogan, who is sometimes good, sometimes terrible, sometimes good, sometimes terrible, and he flip-flops. He's, he's quite the flip-flopper. Call him Biden. Joe Rogan took aim at left-leaning critics who accuse him of being a conservative and says that he has a bleeding-heart liberal when it comes to a lot of bleep. Rogan, who has drawn fire from liberals for hosting guests who have criticized COVID vaccines and pandemic-related lockdown measures, made comments during his podcast on Saturday during which he interviewed comedian actor Andrew Schultz. Schultz and Rogan began discussing politics, including recent comments by Ted Cruz that the Supreme Court decision to legalize same-sex marriage was clearly wrong. Their conversation was transcribed by the news site Mediaite. Uh, Rogan blasted Cruz and GOP for and the GOP for opposing gay marriage, calling it homophobic. What a well, yada yada yada. He also sounded bewildered that many of his liberal critics abused him, uh, uh, accused him of supporting the Republican Party. He said it's not just abortion rights; they're going after gay marriage, which is so strange to me. Gay marriage is not silly; it's marriage. It's marriage from people that are homosexual, and it's for them. It's important. They want it. Uh, they want to affirm and love their relationship, and the fact that they're going after it now almost makes you feel they want to fight. Yada yada yada. Uh, pulling off all this BS, he says, doing like they are with abortion, it's so homophobic, whatever. He said, people will say, oh, you know you're a secret conservative, like you can, um, words. I don't know what you're talking about, I'm so far away from being a Republican. Just because I believe in the Second Amendment, and just because I support the military, and just because I support police, like I was on welfare as a kid, I think it's important. I think having a social safety net is crucial, we should help each other. We're supposed to be one big community. I am a bleeding heart liberal. That's what Joe Rogan has said. And, and maybe because he flies the American flag, which is probably the first thing liberals think. They say, oh, I see a flag in, in the back of his podcast on Spotify making $200 million. Oh, uh, he must be a, 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 a Republican. Oh, he hosts people that he disagrees with. He must be a Republican. And... I would host Nan Whaley on this campaign, on this program. I would host Tim Ryan on this program. I would gladly host Tim Ryan. I want to talk to Tim Ryan. I want to have a conversation with Tim Ryan. Answer my emails, Tim. I would host any Republican candidate for federal office or state office to, to a certain extent. I'm not going to host governors. I'm not going to host state representative candidate in uh, Wyoming's third district. Sorry. I'll host any candidate from the Democratic side running for Ohio office. That's my stipulation. I'm not hosting Kathy Hochul. I'm sorry. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing it. But if if like a Democrat for state house wanted to come on the program, if a Democrat for governor, for Senate, for the Congress, I'd love to have them on. I'd more than welcome them onto my airwaves, on, onto the program here at the Conservative Crusader. I'd love it. It would be phenomenal. I, I'd really enjoy it. And I'd also love to talk to J.D. Vance. Because in our last story before our interview today, because it is coming up uh, real time, 13 minutes, counting it down, J.D. Vance is not on the Ohio Senate campaign trail, some of his critics say. I am not a critic. 
of J.D. Vance. I mean, I'm, I'm a major critic, but I'm not, I'm not his, I'm not a hater. I'm not saying I hate J.D. Vance. He should never run for office again. He should never be a Republican in Ohio. I'm not saying that. But people, even on the right, can understand that J.D. Vance is blowing this campaign. I've, I've talked about this a little bit. But if you turn on the TV and watch the morning news, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the Columbus uh, News uh, ABC six in the mornings. The Good Day Columbus, I think it's called. Every other commercial break or every third commercial break, there is a Tim Ryan or a FF a a Forward Future Pack commercial in support of Tim Ryan or against JD Vance, one of the two. It seems every time you turn on your TV, you see Tim Ryan. Every time you listen to the radio, you see Tim Ryan. Every time you open up YouTube, you see Tim Ryan running a either negative commercial for J.D. Vance or a positive commercial for Tim Ryan every time. It is consistently filled with him. I cannot tell you, probably it was probably May 3rd, the last time that I saw a TV commercial for J.D. Vance. The last time that I saw him outside of private meetings with police officers, I've seen J.D. Vance on the campaign trail. He is missing in action. You should never campaign. From my little experience I've had on campaigns, you should not campaign like you're 15 points ahead. Even if that, if your internal polls say you're 15 points ahead, you should poll like you're, or you should campaign like you're 15 points behind. And he is campaigning like he's 40 points ahead. And Tim Ryan is coming back and campaigning like he's 15 points behind. And he's doing a good job at it. When you have people asking if Tim Ryan is a Republican because of the commercials he's, he, commercials he's running, that's a problem. And and people are going to say, well, Tim Ryan has an 100% Biden voting record. The people of Ohio don't know that. There's no one bringing that information to the majority of Ohioans. He's not. J.D. Vance could easily right now turn on the TV. First thing you see, J.D. Vance saying, my opponent has voted 100% with J.D. Or with uh uh, Joe Biden. But 100% with Joe Biden. Tim Ryan is too radical for Ohio. And it would do numbers and it would do success. It would be successful in the state of Ohio. And he could win. Right now, he's not winning. Maybe in the polls. But not actually impacting Ohioans. He is not winning. I hope he wins the general election. I hope J.D. Vance is better than Tim Ryan. But he is not currently winning this campaign. He's got to do something. He's got to get out of his basement. He's pulling the Fetterman strategy. He's pulling the Biden strategy. He needs to get out of his basement. My name is GOP Josh. This has been... Ooh, I almost got you there. This has been the segment of the Conservative Crusader, but in 10 minutes, real time, go get a glass of water and get ready for this interview with Neil Peterson. I'm very excited. We're going to talk about his future for his campaign. Because he has been rejected from the ballot from the Secretary of State's office. Uh, Frank LaRose has rejected him three days after state law said he should have known by. So we'll talk about that. We'll have him on the phone on the Red Feature Radio phone line here on the program. Cannot wait for that. So make sure you are listening or tuned in. You stay tuned in to this podcast, to this station, to this website right now. Listen to the Red Feature Radio Network to hear Neil Peterson up next here. My name is Joe P. Josh. This is the Conservative Crusader. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. This is the Conservative Crusader. So we have a guest on the line for one of the first times on a normally scheduled programming. Usually this is a special interview, but we have big news to talk about with a candidate right now pertaining ballot access, pertaining the governor's race in the state of Ohio. So joining me now is a pastor from around the Dayton area in Ohio, candidate, independent candidate for governor of Ohio. His name is Neil Peterson. Mr. Peterson, thank you for joining me today here on the Conservative Crusader. Josh, it is always a pleasure to be on, and we've got obviously a lot to talk about so i think we need to get started yeah there was a a harsh blow to your campaign i appreciate you coming on on such short notice a harsh blow to your campaign came from the secretary of state's office earlier this week or i guess it was last week now 
Uh, when he announced you fell 555 signatures short of the required 5,000 to get on the November independent ballot or the, the general election ballot. Were you mm-hmm. told who signed these rejected signatures and why these signatures were rejected? No, we weren't told why they were rejected and we weren't told who signed, but we we have that data now. And let me very succinctly and quickly tell you, we weren't told anything by the secretary of state other than the fact that we were invalidated. In fact, simultaneously, why we were discovering we we're invalidated, the secretary of state had published a press release And within minutes, the Cincinnati Inquirer had published an article that shortly after their first published, they updated that article. And they had noted that we had 4,445 valid signatures, which, of course, as you mentioned, was a deficit of 555. I find those numbers odd, 4445555. But we, we then had to request further information from the Secretary of State, which they did not give us uh, any of the the um, information that I requested, which was how many signatures were short and a couple of other pieces of data. And we had to painstakingly, county by county, over the next 48 hours uh, from this last Monday, a week ago today, we had to start calling counties and requesting the certification of the petitions And simultaneously, I had requested from the Secretary of State that all petitions get forwarded to me. And it took them about 48 hours before they did acknowledge and get back with my request with one Dropbox folder of all 88 counties, their respective petitions and the codes. But we had to do, and get this, Josh, we had to do in about 72 hours, what it took the state to do in 77 days, uh, which we had to catalog. We had to go line by line of about 1,100 part petitions and go over every petition and look for every code and catalog the code so that way we can actually have a fair and accurate viewpoint of where our deficit was. This has not been easy. I think the process is meant to be demoralizing And uh, maybe that is going to fit into one of your other questions. But that is how we came to some of the numbers that we'll unpack as your questions lead. So you're telling me that your campaign, a few volunteers, from what I understand, your campaign is entirely volunteer ran, did in a few days what the Secretary of State's office took almost 90 days, almost three months to do. Well, to, to be fair, we didn't validate addresses, right? So we didn't go through each individual, which is what the county does. The Secretary of State, there's another act to grind there because the Board of Elections, I mean, we we see that there's no continuity between these counties. So for example, um, I can have a county that maybe had to validate six signatures and it took them till the very early part of July. Um, Through a little bit of research, I found that the Secretary of State uh, gave these counties up to July 3rd. Now, that's not published information. That's just, you know, investigative research that we had to do. The latest I saw a timestamp was July 6th. Most of these counties had their their certified petitions back, which means that their board of election went through and they checked to see if the individual was registered. They checked to see if the individual had a valid signature. And then there's a, a, a litany of different codes if the person was not registered address, if they were not a registered voter, if the, if the signature was not genuine, if it was illegible, et cetera. But so we had to, though, go back through those petitions just to record all the codes, which still means line by line. So it wasn't all of what they did, but it was still a good chunk of the motions, the same type of motions. And the process is two and a half months. Now, think about this. You're you're GOP, Josh. I love the grand old party. I've been Republican my entire life. But there is clearly a contempt to make sure that individuals who are not party affiliated because they feel like the party is compromised, they, and I say they, the establishment, right? They maybe being the secretary of state, they may be the board of elections. They clearly have a separate set of rules for independence. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. It's a separate set of rules. It's not a fair 
election when we have to collect five times the number of signatures and the major parties, the Republican and the Democratic Party, need to collect a thousand. And so we're not comparing apples to apples. So, yeah. And, and, you know, as time permits, I'll get into what we're going to do about it. Well, that's my next question is uh, what what is your campaign doing? Uh, you have to re-verify these signatures, if that's even a acceptable process with the Secretary of State's office. Uh, what is your yeah. campaign doing to move forward to re-verify uh, this time around, and how can our listeners help? So right now, we have – when we went through – and we're, we're missing uh, – we, we're missing a very short amount of data at this point from one or two counties um, that was not – accurately in the Dropbox, um, the Dropbox information that was given to us from the counties. There were two counties that did not have the right information. But as of this moment, and that information is fairly minuscule at this point, but we have 532 registered voters that the Board of Elections said that their signature does not match what they have on file. Now, Josh, you and I both know that, but not only just by a a popular vote, if you were to just ask friends, coworkers, or even do an independent uh, polling yourself, know that most people, when they sign electronically, it's never truly depicting their actual signature. Most people I talk to have several signatures at best, but Almost unanimously, the people that I ask, including myself, probably including you, if you were to say when you sign electronically, even the signature that may be on your license is not what may it look like on your when you actually sign on paper. And so we have counties that are making basically subjective conclusions that they disqualified, and this is not this is not per se. This is fact. Five hundred and thirty-two of our five hundred and fifty-five that were short are disqualified because somebody at the boards of elections in their respective eighty-eight counties said that they don't think that this signature matches what's on file. Now that means that we are thirteen forty-two. No, yes, excuse me, that we're 20, 42, 52, 23. 23. (laughs) 23 signatures away. Now, here's the deal. We have 532 that were not genuine with the code. We have 62 signatures that are considered, that have codes called illegible. We have, I'm looking at the numbers now, we have another, we have another, um, Let me see here. We have another 116 that were not registered addresses, which means that these signatures, they were registered voters, but the address that they that they indicated was not their actually registered address. And then we have uh, a whole nother set of signatures that um, that excuse me, I'm looking here through that are illegible. And so when we covered that, the 62, there's a there. I'm sorry, I'm looking for another group. The re, regardless here, we have some other anomalies. So, for example, we have a 20 signatures that it which is if anybody's ever seen a petition, there's 20 signatures on a petition. And we have one whole petition that was never even audited. There was a little sticky note that said, ask secretary of state. The petition is completely fine. They, 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 so there's another 20 signatures that it was never even audited. So we have absolutely plenty of signatures that should have been validated to get us on the ballot. So the question is, is what are we going to do about? Well, right now we're going to do the only thing we can do, which is to challenge. Now, what we're going to be doing, we've been working with our legal team and we have been looking at that we are going to ask the court that they honor that these signatures are um, that these signatures should be validated and that we're going to file a writ of mandamus and we're going to ask several things number one we are going to ask that the 532 signatures be validated and this is why there's nothing in the Ohio revised code that actually indicates that a signature 
has to be validated through some type of means. The, by the very nature, this is the circulatory signed. And he said, I acknowledge that Josh has now signed a petition. And so are we signature verification experts? Right. And the answer is clearly no. Right. So, yeah. I, I couldn't read someone else's signature. Most of the time, it's the first letter in a line. That's about it yeah, for a signature. It, yeah, and just because it may be different on a voter roll, it doesn't mean that that person's not genuine. It just means that what happens if, think about this, for nine months we collected signatures, or tedious process, and many people say, hey, you should have collected more. Well, we, we collected what we collected. We, we worked as hard as we could. And the reality is, is when you're standing in the rain on a clipboard or on the side of a car or in line on your way out of a rally or, you know, in the cold at the Ohio State spring game, everything in between. These are people that acknowledge that they're registered. It's not that they're not registered. These are registered voters. Everything else checks out. Their address checks out. Right. They're registered voter. But they're saying that signature. So this is part of the process that we need fundamental change in the state of Ohio. And that that goes across the board. That's not just about independence, right? But clearly when they raise the threshold five times, there's a there's a separate set of rules. Now, there's another angle that we're looking at too. And that is we are going to also ask the court and I don't have time to get into some of the court cases and some of the law um, that that has been um, ruled upon, right? Because there's there's good cases, there's bad cases, but we still believe that there is enough uh, court rulings out there that we strong we have a strong case, and that is that we want to present to the court that why doesn't independents have a primary in the same way that the Republicans and Democrats do? And, th- and you know what they say, Josh. They say, well, because an independent is actually not a party, right? So they say they're non-affiliated, so there is no there is no primary. Well, I beg to differ because even though they're unaffiliated, because there would never be an eye on the ballot anyway, they would be an unaffiliated vote, uh, un- an unaffiliated candidate on the ballot. But there should still be the right for independent candidates to only need to collect one thousand signatures valid. Just like the just like the Republicans, just like the Democrats, if you were a minor party libertarian, if you were a Green Party, right, you, constitutional party, you only need 500 signatures. So think about this: minor parties have a primary, major parties have a primary. The independents bypass the primary, go to the general, but they know that that process is going to be tedious. So that's another thing we're going to ask the court to rule upon and basically order Frank LaRose to put us on the ballot. And so we're looking at a couple of other angles that I'm not ready to to bring up just yet, but those are the two major points that we are going to present evidence of the 532 out of the 62 illegible signatures that we have. We have already independently verified half of them. So just right there, and when I say illegible, there's some that are truly illegible. You can't make it out. But think about this. You're at the boards of election. You're looking at it. You're like, "Ah, is that Brown Street? Is that Brownie Street? Ah, You know, illegible. Can't read it. Not everybody's going to spend the amount of time that we're going to spend confirming that that's a valid address. We have done it. We've gone through it. We have about 700 total signatures that we say these should be valid signatures. So we're going to take it to the highest office in Ohio, uh, the, the excuse me, the highest court in Ohio, the Ohio Supreme Court. And we're going to ask for a writ of, of um, a mandamus that the court rules the, in our favor to put us on the November ballot. With the numbers you're giving me now, even if some of your verification, your independent verification is rejected, you have plenty to get on the ballot. You only need 5,000. You're 500 short. And I agree with you. The numbers are suspicious with that, how perfect that seems to be. It's interesting. And and I'll say this. There there was a lot of talk, and there's court cases that that have been ruled favorably in Ohio to get affidavits for every person. Now, we went down that road for, for momentarily. Remember, today is a week. We didn't hear about our rule. We didn't hear that we weren't on the ballot till around three o'clock. We didn't get anything from the secretary, secretary of state until Wednesday late afternoon. 
And then we still had to get some other pieces. So, you know, we've only been sitting on this data for a few days of if you working very diligently to try to put these numbers together. They weren't given to us. But there was a lot of talk, and we even expressed some interest in attempting to get affidavits for all five for all 532. Now, that's not really possible. Um, and I know the court would rule favorably. I believe that that is just not simply possible. You know, there's people on vacation. There's people are, that may have moved. I mean, you know, we have signatures going back nine months. Um, but the, the, the reality is, is we should be able to get a sampling and show that the process is fundamentally flawed, that there's people in the boards of election that are determining that that person is not who they say they are. By the fact that they're signing, they're, they are letting their intent be known that them as a registered voter, that they're signing their name, and the circulator is then signing their name that they vouch for that individual that they want that particular candidate, an option to be on the ballot. That's it. They're not voting for them. They're saying, I acknowledge that I want this individual a right to be voted upon. They're not voting for them. And so, you know, this is the part that we are absolutely protesting. We need affirmative action and change to be changed as it relates to how individuals um, are are actually make ballot access. And I have to ask, because I'm sure you've investigated this a lot with, with signatures. You cannot read a signature from one time to another. Just signing multiple places on a contract, your, your signature might be different. Is there a set process or even computer software that can detect these signatures for the offices that are that are verifying them? Or is it just a random person sitting there on a Tuesday afternoon at 2.30 at, at their desk eating Cheetos, seeing what kind of signature and see if they want to reject it or not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The latter. And so there, as you know, you know, I spent six years in the military signing all the military documents. I, I it was funny for some reason, uh, uh, earlier in our campaign, I was looking for some military information and I saw my signature and it was vastly different than how I signed today. And I signed a, I signed a fast way. I signed, if it's going to be nicer, I signed slower, but this is what holds true that even software is not able to pick up people's different types of, of signatures. Now, there's going to be similarities in maybe how they do a letter or a curve and so forth. But the reality is, is and we've investigated this, when you have somebody that is a, a that they're a professional as it relates to investigating, let's say, uh, a fraudulent activity with, you know, writing, um, writing checks, right, fraudulent checks, well, they spend hours, Josh, they spend hours analyzing one signature and looking at the person's other signatures. And they tediously look at the different strokes, the angle of the pen, the pressure of the weight. So if we have professionals that take them hours and their life is dedicated to the forensics of signing and determining if this was the same person, how are we going to trust the boards of election that somebody that's in the office, which there's no standard operating procedures, how are we going to trust them that they have what it takes to decide by looking at what they have maybe on record from a time you went and voted on one of those little digital keypads versus what they see on the, on the clipboard? And the answer is it's impossible. And this is why the signature indicates intent. The signature is not should not be um, weighted against one time in history that they have on file versus potentially years later, as I indicated, of maybe when they even recorded that person's signature. So the process is flawed. And this is what we want to communicate with the court. The process is flawed. So you'll be taking it to the court as you've indicated. And I have another question about the Secretary of State's office. According to my, my calendar, you were supposed to find out on the 15th of uh, July, when your signatures were verified or not, you found out on Monday, the 18th, that's against the Secretary of State's law uh, and their guidelines, is it not? Not only is it not, you know, this is a prime example. Um, and, and I'm going to tell your audience this, and this, this, this makes us cry here. <laughs> but we had 162 signatures that were thrown out 
because of several factors. And some of them we knew about, but we had to submit them anyway. So, for example, we had some we had some um, circulators that sent us their petitions that they circulated for us, but they forgot their address. Well, it was in the 11th hour. We didn't know who the person was. We didn't have time, so we submitted it anyway. But we had 162 signatures thrown out because there were certain things that were missing from the petition that's very clearly indicated in the Secretary of State's guidelines. So, for example, there's 20 signatures on a petition, and there is a tally. So if you only collected six on that petition, you have to add it up and hit six. If that's left blank and you got six valid signatures, they're all null and void. Okay? We have to understand that the – in fact, I'm looking at now. It's 167, not 162. We have to swallow our pride and say legitimately these ones don't count because we didn't play by their rules. And we just say we messed up for many different reasons, right? And it's 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 sorrowful, but at the same token, it was our bad. For It could be our bad because we knew about it or we didn't know about it, but it was clearly laid out. We're not even protesting those because we didn't follow the rules. We're not protesting not, of people who signed that they weren't registered voters, right? We're not even protesting, protesting those who are registered voters, but they put their wrong address. We're not even protesting those. And in some case, if we had more time, we may actually look, because you have to remember, their voter rolls may be wrong. So we don't even know that. Like, there's two people at our church that signed and it was a it was a mother and a son, an adult son who lived in her house. They were I saw it was an NRA code, non-registered address. Well, I, they're registered voters, but they had just moved. Now we don't have the time to go and say, did did you did you file? Did you go and get your address updated? But we still, under those circumstances, we say, okay, this was correct ruling. You disqualified them because we did that. It was wrong. I say all of that. How is it the Secretary of State has clear defined rules, right? And we have to accept the rules and we have to accept their timeline. We had to file before 4 p.m. on May 2nd. If we would have come after 4 p.m., it would have been invalid, right? So now they have 75 days to validate. Friday, last Friday, would have been 74 days. They went 77 days on Monday, later in the day, Monday. So all I'm trying to say, Josh, to your listeners, is that you can't have one set of rules that we have to follow and another set of rules that you can decide whether you want to or whether you don't want to follow. And so we're also going to bring that up, and and I'm glad you mentioned that. We're also going to look at filing a potential other uh, writ of, of mandamus on that factor alone, that they get, they, they, there was an undue um, hardship on our part for the amount of time that they caused us already having two and a half months. And I want to say one last thing, Joshua, in regards to this. 75 days when this ruling came, it was actually based on a court case. And the court case determined it, that the Secretary of State to get all of the petitions to their pers- their their perspective and to their res- respective excuse me their respective boards of elections in the counties that 75 days was enough time for the boards of election to do their part to get it back to the secretary of state for them to validate but do you realize that was before technology so you mean to tell me now everything's scanned, everything is digital communications, and we're still holding to the same standard that everything had to all communications were snail mail and everything was antiquated as it relates to timeliness. So, you know, we, we have some real fundamental changes that that we should see that we're we are believing that the court should rule favorably that they took, it exceeded their time frame, which is once again, um, that puts us at a disadvantage when it comes to fair and honest elections. You're already just a few months from the election, and then you have to wait even more days to wait to find out if you're on the ballot or not. That is Neil Peterson, independent candidate for governor. Neil, where can people find you, learn more about your campaign, and possibly help out with this whole signature lawsuit battle? 
Yeah, Josh, absolutely. And I want to say this in closing. We are not sore losers. We know that we should have had a lot more signatures. That that is always the goal. Everybody wants to run faster, you know, um, you know, make more money. There's always great intentions, but you know, sometimes when you cross the finish line, it is what it is. And when we crossed May second finish line, we had six thousand signatures. But what we are protesting is that if you take out some of the inconsistencies of how the Secretary of State and how the boards of elections actually validate true people that express their interest in wanting to see us on the ballot, we have the obligation to the 6,000 people that said, yes, Neil, Mike, we want to see you on the ballot. We have an obligation to fight for them. And that's what we're going to do. And so right now, our campaign is a little bit on a standstill. Uh, We know it's somewhat demoralizing to our supporters. We know right now it is somewhat demoralizing to our team. But we're going to continue to fight until we can't fight anymore. And so please, for those who can help right now, you know, there's a little bit of a private battle that we have to just work out with our lawyers. Uh, We have asked everybody to go to our website, neilpeterson.com slash validate and if you signed our petition or if you circulated a petition please go there and just fill out the form that's just a it's it's kind of a needle in a haystack but it's a database that we are actually um aggregating so at least we know some people that we have additional contact information for that we may not have had from the petition but you can follow us on social media uh neil peterson for governor neilpeterson.com We're going to continue to fight the conservative voice now more than ever. As you can see, the mandates are rolling back. The masks are coming back on. The uh, World Health Organization is continued to rule with their edicts that are unconstitutional. And you continue to see that Mike DeWine and Nan Whaley will not represent the conservative voice. And so if we have it our way, we want to give Ohio voters an opportunity to vote for a real conservative. All right. And I, I verified it just to make sure the website, it's actually nopeterson.com slash verify so people can get the d- correct link and, and make sure it's, it's taken <laughs> to the right website. So uh, N-I-E-L. I am so glad, <laughs> so glad you did that. We had, we had I was looking at another um, in our database. I called that validate. And so you're I'm so glad you did that. You're right. I just pulled it up neilpeterson.com slash verify. Thank you for that correction. Not a problem. I wanted to make sure my listeners got the correct place to go. So it's N-I-E-L-P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N.com slash verify. If you signed his petition, if you circulated his petition, Neil Peterson, thank you for your time today. Josh, thank you as always. Keep up the great work. You too. And I can't wait to see where this goes. It'll be very interesting to follow. And I hope the court rules in your favor. My name is thank Joe you, P- Josh. Thank you. My name is Joe P. Josh. This has been the Conservative Crusader on the Red Future Radio Network. Thank you for tuning in today, and we will see you all on Thursday with a brand new episode. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Conservative Crusader. 